You're listening to a podcast from Victory Alabang. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Lamb of God? Find out in this message by Pastor Carlos Santos. This next series, Past Perfect, it's giving me the chills. It's giving me the thrills. In fact, because it's called Past Perfect. Can everybody say Past Perfect? In this series, we're going to look at Old Testament scriptures. And we're going to find Jesus there. Have you ever wondered that? For me, I would skip a lot of Old Testament scriptures because, ah, oh, man, it's, so, it's, it's kind of complicated. All these rules, all these laws, what do they mean about, I just want to be saved. I just want to be healed. I just want to be loved by my God. What does the Old Testament have to say about that? All that, even those lineages, you know, of, of, of this guy, begat this guy, begat this guy, begat this guy. Begat, no? But then we realize, just for give you, to give you a sample of this series, we realize that even God sent His only begotten Son. There's something about the image of a person, of a father passing down. That's why the Old Testament is rich with clues. This is what we're going to do with this series. This is the objective. We're going to highlight the significance of God's sovereign plan for salvation that is revealed Where? In the Old Testament, fulfilled through Christ's life and death. And we're going to realize that it is made available for us when? Today. Resulting in a life lived in accordance with the gospel. Oh, this is an awesome series. Past perfect. And today, we're going to, you know the things that Jesus, we're going, to, we're going to see Jesus as in the Old Testament. We're going to see how the Old Testament points to him as the perfect redeemer. You've been singing that a while ago, again and again in every song, right? And there's something about that word, Redeemer. Then we're going to see Jesus as the perfect mediator next week, and then the perfect substitute, and then the perfect man. An amazing, awesome series. For today, we'll talk about Jesus as the perfect Redeemer. If you're talking about redeeming and redemption, there's always an element of rescuing. That's right. You're exchanged for something. You're, in, you're, you're trapped in somewhere and somebody redeems you. Somebody rescues you. Can I ask you this question? I love culture, so I want to throw some at you, some cultural questions. What to you is the most epic rescue scene in any movie? I'm sure you love movies, don't you? There's something about movies and stories that make our heart beat. Wow, galinguna! Think about that. What's the most epic rescue scene for you? Is it Superman rescuing that fallen airplane? Is it, is it the, in the Lord of the Rings when the two towers are being ransacked and they're being, they're, they're being sieged and then suddenly there's a galler horn from the distance shouting and the, light of, and the light of Gandalf is on the horizon and all the Rohan riders fall down to the slope and rescue the cavalry, our soldiers, our knights. Awesome, no? It really makes your heart beat. One of my favorite epic scenes, rescue scenes, is uh, from this movie. Ah, you're excited for December, no? It's gonna come. Episode 7 is coming. Let's not go here. I'm gonna stay here, okay? <laughs> this is my, panahon ko to, this is my generation, my batch. We'll go, it's in uh, episode 4, A New Hope, when a pirate named Han Solo and our young intrepid hero named Luke Skywalker was rescuing a princess. It's always great, no? We hear stories of rescuing princesses. Those are the most awesome love stories. So they rescue the princess, 
and they go out and they have an escape route. But the escape route that they choose is a garbage chute. They don't even go into the garbage dump. They go into the garbage disposal area. So they get into the muck and the mire and all the garbage, and suddenly the walls start closing in on them. How many of you know if there's an epic rescue, there has to be an amazing trap? There has to be a really hard trap to get out of. And so they're shouting, oh no, what's going to happen? And then they, they, they realize, oh wait a minute, we have friends in the control center. We got to call them. You got 3PO, the droids. Help us out. You got to push the button somewhere. And, the, and the, the friends are going, which button is this? Which button is that? And then they're going, ah, they hear the, the screams in the communications uh, headset. And then suddenly, boom, they find the button. They find the right button. And, and the walls stop. They tried everything to make the wall stop, but it had to be the push of the button in the control center. They couldn't do anything there. And when they stopped, they started shouting, Woohoo! Yeah! Right! And then the, the friends upstairs in the, in the control center started going, Oh no, we killed them. Look at their screams. Ah, they're going. <laughs> they didn't realize they'd saved them. But what I realized is this. For a perfect rescue, for an awesome rescue, there has to be an almost inescapable trap. Right? And if you think about it, we're all caught in that trap today. Sin has trapped us. Can I do something with you, a little activity, so that you can feel what I'm talking about? I'd like everybody to close your eyes. Close your eyes and imagine this. You all know that being trapped in sin always breaks someone. Someone always pays the price for sin. Imagine your most, your favorite person in the whole wide world. So your mom, your baby, your wife, your husband. And imagine that person kidnapped. Somebody took that person. And somebody tortured that person. And finally left them for dead. That wasn't even your sin. That was somebody else's sin. Who paid the price for that sin? Your loved one, right? Imagine now, Nahuli and Dao, they, they caught the criminal for this heinous crime. Now he pays for his sin. What if he was put in front of you? What if they caught the criminal and put, make him, made him face you? What would you do? I'm going to be honest right now. I don't know if I can control myself. If somebody did that to my baby or my wife, but you know what? Sometimes our, our reaction to sin can also be sinful. And that criminal would pay the price for our sin, for our anger. Somebody always pays the price. If that criminal was never found, who pays the price then? We do. We have to live with the regret. We have to live with the burden and the brokenness that we have. Open your eyes. Somebody always pays. Right? And if you multiply that, it doesn't have to be a heinous crime, even our little sins. We steal a parking slot area for the supposedly the disabled. Somebody pays for that sin. Do we run a red light and put people in danger? Somebody pays for that sin. Somebody always pays. If you multiply that even in this room and around the world, how would God ever tolerate people like that? A holy, perfect God. Please bear with me. I'm just trying to build a tension in you, something you want to think about. 
Because I want you to know this. And uh, can you shout this with me? On a count of three. One, two, three. Can we say that again with feeling? There is? Say that again. There is no way for us. We're trapped by sin. Even the little sins we have separates us from God. This perfect, holy, loving God. There is no way. And I'm just warming up. (laughs) We haven't even gone to the word yet. Now you bear that in mind. That there is no way. There is an insurmountable barrier, impassable gap between us and God. And as we go into this series, every week, please don't miss a week and you can invite your friends. They will realize how the entire Bible addresses this problem. How there is no way for us to reach our God. So let's dive into the word, shall we? Can I invite you all to stand up? And and the Old Testament scripture we're going to use today is Exodus 12, 5 to 13. Look at that. Cute. Bring out your Bibles and go to Exodus 12. It is the second book in the Bible after Genesis. You all know that, you know, especially if you watched The Prince of Egypt, this is when Moses was liberating his people. He had already told the Pharaoh to let my people go. Let my people go. And then... He wouldn't do that. So the ten plagues were visited upon the Egyptians. And he was gearing up for the last final strike of God. The passage in the Passover. I like that passage in the Passover. God had just told them that what's going to happen now, you need to consecrate it. This month is going to be the first of your calendar year. It'll be the first month of the year for you. Tell everyone to never forget this month. So let's start with verse 5. He had just told them. That you have to take a lamb for every household. Your lamb shall be without what? Blemish. A male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill other lambs. This lamb that you'll take care of, so pure, so innocent. You shall take care of it. And on the 14th day, what shall you do? Kill the lamb at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Wow. Its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain. Everybody say, none of it. None of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Can you sense the tension? God is really eager to go. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass over through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. I would have stopped there, but I kind of want to give you a picture. I want to skip to verses 27. Because Moses was telling, you should commemorate this day. And when the generations ask you, why are you commemorating Passover? Then you will say, you will say this. This is in verse 27. You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed down and their heads worshipped. And you all know what happened next. The Lord struck all the firstborn, and in every household there was a wailing and a screaming, for the Lord took all the firstborn males. Let's pray. Lord, we're very, very humbled by the message you are about to give us in the next coming month. There is a thrill in our hearts knowing that maybe even in our lives, not just scripture, but even in our lives, some, someone has been leading us to this message. Holy Spirit, I pray that you open our eyes and our hearts and our ears, that whatever we hear today, it'll be your words. If there's going to be any clearer picture, let it be of Jesus Christ and what he means for us yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I pray for my friends. May you bless them. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Past perfect. Jesus as a perfect redeemer. There are many things we're going to learn about the scripture. One of the first is that Jesus is the perfect. Let's say the word perfect. Let's go to the scripture. Your lamb shall be without what? Not even a spot. Pure white. Nakita niyo naman yung mga lambs. You saw the lambs a while ago. Cute. Beautiful. Pure. Innocent. Can you imagine a spatter of blood on those, on, those, on those animals? A year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Jesus is the perfect lamb. I don't know about you, but that kind of talks about something above. When you say firstborn, like Jay was saying a while ago, the firstborn consecrate, the firstborn male set, up, set aside something. That kind of talks about not being the firstborn. Who here is the eldest in their family? There some of you. You know that, right? Sometimes we get some kind of a privilege. There's always some look. And sometimes it's a privilege. Sometimes it's a pressure, <laughs> right? But there's something about firstborns. That's just in the literal term, but... Firstborns can also mean something that is above the rest, something that is prime, something that is almost perfect, the scripture is saying. I don't know about you, but I I don't feel perfect a lot of times. (laughs) I hardly feel good at all. There used to be, um, there used to be some times where I think, God, am I really your son? Have you already made me your child? Especially when I'm having a fight with my wife. My wife would tell me, (laughs) There used to be something called a DNA test, remember? Uh, when there would be a question of lineage, are you really my child? <laughs> and they would do that DNA test to really see if that is really, he's really your child, your son or daughter, if you're really the parent. Sometimes you can, it's, it's hard to tell even by the look of it, especially if your child looks like this. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I, 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 tried to, uh, I tried to get some pictures of 
honestly, ugly children. But then I kept looking. Uh, it just feels so weird to get uh, pictures of children, right? It feels so exploitative. So I just took pictures from a site where you know, <laughs> they switch their uh, faces with the parents. All I just wanted to point out is like, whoa, really? You, are you my son? Can you tell? Can you see the resemblance? <laughs> Especially if your child looked like this, I suppose. But you know what? Spiritually, I feel the same with us and God. Spiritually, I feel like I'm in a state. God, do we really look alike? Am I really in your image? I feel that. Every little prideful thought that I have, every failure that I make, God, how can I ever really live up to your standard? The scripture is telling us we can't. That's why God met the standard. The scripture I'm going to use for the New Testament is John. I really like John because he's very, I mean, he's called one of the best friends of God, of Jesus Christ, right? Like his inner circle. Every time he talked to so many mil- millions, about thousands of people, he'd always take aside his apostles and then talk to them. But even among the apostles, the story says that he would go with three other people. And one of them is John, close friend. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Taken from 1 John chapter 3. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning and also practices, also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. But you know that he, meaning Jesus, appeared in order to take away how? Because in him there is no blemish, no imperfection, no spot. Jesus met the standard. I don't know if you feel like you always have to meet a standard at work. Sometimes I feel it also even in my family, with my dad, with your parents, with your wives, with your spouses. We love them, right? But sometimes we feel like we have to do something to gain their appreciation, to gain their affirmation. God is saying, not with me. My son has accomplished the standard. You don't have to be perfect. Whoever you are or wherever you come from, come from me. I will accept you. What did we shout a while ago? What did we shout? We said, there is no way. You need to be convinced. Can you do that again? Shout it again. There is there's no way for us. Except with Jesus. Not only was he the perfect lamb, he was the sacrificial lamb. Let's unpack this. Let's go back to our Old Testament scripture you shall keep it until the 14th day. I mean, talking about the lamb of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs. your reaction? Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and in the lintel of the houses on which they eat it. In this manner you shall eat it. Let me skip ahead to verse 11. I'll go back to those verses in a while. In another point, in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. This is the first fast food in the world. It's really fast. They were, they were, they were in haste. See, look at there. It says there, I will pass through the land. No, you shall eat it in haste, rather. Almost, almost you'll be standing up. Eat it. Eat the lamb and then go because God was saying, get ready to go. I'm going to do something in this land. I'm going to strike here. I'm going to pass judgment. And we need to go. Wow. Do you eat in Makdo with that much haste? No. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. 
And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I will show them that I am the Lord. I would be, I would, if, if that was what God told me, I'd really, I'd go through drive through <laughs> If you killed the lamb, it's simply killed, right? But if you sacrifice the lamb, that means it's being offered for something. It's not just something that you kill. There's a purpose. There's a mission. That's the same with Jesus. He was the sacrificial lamb. He had a mission. You said a while ago, and I showed you that everybody pays for sin. The Bible also says, and it's not in the PowerPoint, but the Bible also says the wages of sin is, yes, you all know that. Somebody has to pay. Somebody always pays. And once again, there is no way. But God made a way. That's what a Redeemer does. What does redeem mean? It means to buy back. After a tax sale or mortgage, it means to exchange for money or goods, to make up for something that was lost, something that was broken. You make up for that. To make amends for. If you made any mistake or a sin for, you make amends for it. You restore. And I like the last part. Can we read the last part? To obtain the release or restoration of. As from? From the trap, from the inescapable trap of sin by paying a ransom. God knew we could never meet the standard, so he met the standard himself. God knew there was nothing we could do to sacrifice. There was no way. God made a way. And John, once again, going back to John in the Gospels, the next day he saw Jesus. He's talking about John the Baptist. Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was the mission. Hindi lang siya bastang kinata. He wasn't a broken, slain lamb just to be eaten. He took away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After he comes a man, after me who comes a man, who ranks before me. Talking about firstborn again. Older si John the Baptist, right? Jesus was his, his biological cousin. But this man comes before me. He ranks before me because he was before me. In the beginning of time, he was there. He was the perfect man, the perfect lamb, and thus the perfect sacrifice, the perfect redeemer. That night in Egypt, in truth, there were two things. There were two things that died. It was either a firstborn male or it was a lamb. But in Jesus Christ, it was both. The firstborn of God was also the sacrificial lamb. I can picture the Egyptians and the Jews. You know, maybe some of them were friends. This is just imagination, my wild imagination, okay? It's not in the Bible. But maybe some of them were friends, an Egyptian and a Jew. And the Jew, you know, in one of their sessions, probably would have said, hey, you know what? Our God is going to go through Egypt, and he's going to take the firstborn males. <gasps> and the Egyptian might go, what? what do I have to do? What am I going to do? Do I need to sacrifice to my gods, to the, to the god of Ra, to the god of Set, to the god of whatever? I'll do all these sacrifices. I'll do it. So the Egyptian does that. Oh, it takes care of all these things. And the Jews, well, okay. Just the lamb. Doorpost. The Egyptian, hastily just sacrificing, doing all these things for the other gods. The Jew, 
just following the commands of the one God. The God who made the way for him. And for us, it's the same. Sometimes, we go back to doing works. Can you all say that? Works. That means we think, our default is we think there's something we can do. Maybe I'll attend church some more. I'll attend the 9 o'clock. I'll attend the 11 o'clock. I'll attend the 12 o'clock. I'll join the ministries. I'll pray for every ministry. I'll be here the whole day. I'll work harder. I'll pray every day. I'll memorize more verses. These are good things. Uh, Maybe not going to church the whole day. You you miss out on your family. Maybe not that. Some of them are good things, but they won't earn us salvation. They won't redeem us. They won't free us from the captivity of sin. Only God made a way. For us, there is no way. But God made a way. And that way is the only way. I want to be careful here, but I want to do this with boldness. Jesus is the only way. I know we have, some of us might have different beliefs. Some of us might have different practices. But I need you to say this, just so you can be comfortable and be convinced. Let's look at the scripture. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will what? Pass over you. That means... The angel of death, the spirit of death will not take you, any of you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. We will be passed over from judgment. Don't you sometimes feel that whenever you make a mistake? (gasps) What's going to happen to me now? Maybe God won't be as pleased with me anymore. That's not what he's saying. Just like with the Egyptians, sacrificing to so many gods. The Jew, just following the direction of one. Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6 says this. Before I show the verse, I want you to consider, God said that every year you do this practice. You slay a lamb. You slay a lamb in commemoration to what I did before. But once again, word creeped in. They thought we could do something about this. You know what? We'll follow God and, you know, even our sins. Every sin that we make the year before, it'll be passed on to this lamb. And then there'll be cleansing and ceremonial cleansing. They made this commemoration of something, of an epic rescue that God made for them. They turned it into a dead ritual. Just something to do as every year comes. Jesus is the only way. Let's read the scripture now. Jesus said to him, let's read that together. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Do you see, do you feel his, his patience with us? You don't know the Father. He was doing this. He was talking about his identity. You don't understand me. You don't, you don't believe that I'm the Son of God. Come here for you. But he says with finality, I am the way and the truth and the life. You want to see the father? You look at me. I'm his son, not like the parents and children we saw a while ago. I am the son of of your father. It says there, no one comes to the father except through me. Do you know what the Bible means by no one? No one in the Bible means no one. 
That means no one comes to the Father except through me. Whatever beliefs that some other people may have or we may have about ourselves and our lives, whatever practices we may have, it is only through Jesus that we come to God our Father. No one means no one. No one is perfect, but Jesus is the perfect lamb. No one can sacrifice, no one can redeem, but Jesus is a sacrificial lamb. There was no way, but God made a way. And Jesus is the only way. Is Jesus your only way? Those are the three points that we learned from Scripture. Or remember, I skipped one. What I pray, we'll go to that, that part in, the, in, in Exodus. But what I want to leave you this is, is, with, is this. When you go out there, when you go back to your Bibles, when you go back to your work, would you ask this question? Ask this question of God. Because if you're like me, it's really hard to open that really thick Bible. If you, maybe your Bible isn't like this. Maybe your Bible is this huge tome in front of a table and, it, and sometimes maybe it's been gathering dust for a while. Whew. It may be a bit complicated, but what I'll, I'll, I'd like for us to ask is this. Where's Jesus there? Where's Jesus in the Old Testament? Where's Jesus here in this Passover? How is it pointing me to God? Because let me tell you, if you take the Bible and you take the Word without thinking this, we'll start becoming like the Jews as well. We'll start doing ceremony after ceremony after ceremony. When you come here and you raise your hand, it'll be because everybody else is doing it. That happens to me sometimes. I come here, you know, sometimes when I've had an argument or I've just been impatient or I haven't opened my Bible at all, I do it through emotion. Lord, okay, you're so good. You're a redeemer. But what's really in my heart? Did I really see Jesus? Where is Jesus? Because... If you're that enamored with him, you'll be like what God commanded. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and, and bitter herbs. They shall eat of it. Do not eat any of it, raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. What is he saying now? Everything. Eat everything. If there's some part that you don't eat, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, what shall happen? Burn it. Every part must be consumed. What I'm praying and what I'm challenging everyone is, let's be the same with Jesus. Let's take in every part of where Jesus is flowing us. Look through this and every part. What does the Exodus say? What does the story of Joseph, the dreamer, talk about? Where, how is it pointing me to Jesus? You know, in kids' church, our challenge there, we challenge the kids not to be like some of the stories. You know, we'll give them an Old Testament story about David. And naturally, what they'll think is, oh, I have to be like David. I have to fight the giants. I have to believe God. No, that's not what we're doing. We tell them that David is the incomplete king. If there's anybody that you're going to relate with, it's the Israelites. And even David was an incomplete king. He sinned, but later on, he points to the Jesus who's the perfect king. Jonah, we tell the story of Jonah. Remember Jonah the prophet? God told him, go to Nineveh. You know, give the word, share to them. And, and, and Jonah said, no way. He stole my promotion. He stole my girl. These are people who are my enemies. I hate them. Lord, have you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, get them. 
And sometimes when the kids hear that, oh, then we should be obedient, not be like Jonah. No, we are like Jonah. That's not the lesson. It points to how God is persistent. It's not about the obedience or disobedience of Jonah. It points to God being persistently loving us and that nothing will stand in His way for Him to save us, to redeem us, and deliver us. But someday, someone will come. He will be an obedient prophet. He will be an obedient redeemer all the way to death, all the way to the cross. I pray that when you go out there and you open your Bibles, you open Scripture, when you pray, you ask, where is Jesus? Because He's the only way. I don't want to add anything to that. Lord Jesus, where are you? I want to minister to someone. I want to invite the worship team over. Ask God, where is Jesus? Just as the Jews consumed all of the lamb, let's take all of God in. And if we realize, if we realize just how perfect God is, if every part of the Bible just points that we don't have to strive, we don't have to prove anything or meet a certain standard, and if everything shows us that God, Jesus already did it all, isn't that liberating? Won't you just go to, your, go to our workplaces and I don't have anything to prove, I'll just be the best. Because God freed me from that insecurity. I can go home and no matter what burdens or problems I have, I know God covered that. No matter what I go through. Unlike the pictures we saw a while ago, I am His. With your Father in heaven. I pray we find, as God promises, when you seek Him with all your heart, when you seek me with all my, your heart, the Lord says, you will find me. In every piece of the Bible, in your lives, at your workplace, at your homes. But when we are turning to the Word of God, please know that the entire Bible leads, leads us to the perfect Redeemer. Can I ask you all to stand up? Can we say this together? You don't have to shout it. Just allow the Holy Spirit to kind of plant it in your heart. Maybe some of us don't read the Bible for all its complications. Some of us like reading, For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. <laughs> or just stick to the Gospels. Stick to the New Testament. But can you say this with me? One, two, three. The entire Bible leads us to the perfect Redeemer, Jesus. Leads us to a place where we don't have to strive, we don't have anything to prove, we just allow Jesus to have done it all. Jesus himself, though, once cautioned, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That's why it's not only just the Word that saves us. It's the Word made flesh, which is Jesus Christ. Because all of the Word... What does it say there? What does Jesus say? It is they that bear witness about me. He was talking to the Pharisees, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. When you keep asking, Lord, where's Jesus? I pray 
that you're seeking Him leads you to Him, the source of life. Can we spend time worshiping our God and just thanking Him that it, He didn't make it difficult? Lord, we just thank You. We just thank You that there was no way we were trapped. Even now, even as we go to church, when we, when we leave, other things captivate our hearts. Worries captivate our hearts. Burdens captivate our hearts. The, the media, the TV, FB, the internet is telling us who we are, telling us we're not perfect, telling us there's nothing we can do. We have to reach a certain standard. Lord Jesus, you freed us from all that. And not to try to prove anything to you, but simply to enjoy you, to be with you. And we want to lift, you, we want to lift up worship to you. We want to lift our hands. We want to raise our voices to honor you. We hope you were inspired by that message. Listen to more podcasts from our website at www.victoryalabang.org and in Victory Alabang app. Thank you and stay connected.